In this episode of the Teachers Who Quit podcast, I sit down with a former educator who has successfully transitioned from the classroom to starting their own advocacy business. Listen in as Izzy shares her personal journey and the challenges that she has faced along the way, from identifying opportunities in the advocacy field to building a successful business. Our guest on this episode offers valuable insights and tips for teachers like yourself looking to make a similar transition. So do not miss out on this inspiring discussion on the power of advocacy as we feature Izzy, who taught high school social studies for seven years before deciding to end her teaching career to pursue educational advocacy in South Carolina. Welcome to the Teachers Who Quit podcast, the number one podcast for teachers who quit or really want to. And I'm your host, Tierney, your ex-teacher bestie. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Teachers Who Quit podcast. I am your host, Tierney, and today I am joined by Izzy. I'm so excited, Izzy, to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I am good. The baby is asleep, so we should have no interruptions. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Awesome. So before we hop in, because there's so much that I want to chat with you about, I really would love if you, in a nutshell, would just tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, um, and what you do now, and then we can dive in how to how you got there. Okay. My name is Isabel Brown. I am almost 30. I decided to become a teacher when I was a senior in high school, just because I had been in so much trouble All of my early years, I had always been in fights with other students as well as teachers. I was very um, problematic at times because I was kind of like a know-it-all. And so when I would get in trouble, I would really have this urge to prove myself to the teacher. And so I wanted to become a teacher so I could say, hey, like, when I'm a teacher, I'm going to do things. Right. Um, So that's kind of what got me into education. I had a really inspirational ISS teacher since I would spend a lot of time in ISS. Um, He actually was amazing. His name was Mr. Pinckney, and he would go over um, the future with us and inspire us, and he would provide a sense of belonging. Even though you were in ISS, he would provide a sense of like, well, I'm still here, and I can be your family, and I care for you. And so he made me want to be like that inspirational figure for other students in the future. So that's what got me into teaching. Um, I went to college in Charleston, and I majored in secondary education, which is 9 through 12, and sociology and social studies. So I became a social studies teacher, and after a few years, I went back to school to get my master's of education in teaching, learning, and advocacy. So that's where I am now. Okay, very nice. So you had this initial spark to become a teacher when you were in high school. And so um, you talked a little bit about what you studied as far as um, your master's degree and when you went to college and everything like that. I'm curious on if you could share a little bit more about what are the types of schools or um, communities where you have taught at as far as like, have you um, been in the public sector, private? Have you done the charter route? And then also would love to know um, kind of the demographic background of like your students and what, what you've taught. I, so I teach in Berkeley County School District. Well, I taught, I should say, I taught in Berkeley County School District. I taught in um, a higher performing public school, uh, 
more wealthy school. Um, and the school's primarily white, although we do have um, African-American, we have Asian students, we have Muslim students. So there's a little bit there, but it's like a really small, a little bit of diversity, but a really small portion. It's predominantly white, upper, middle. Okay, so the school that I taught at is, um, it's an upper middle class. It's pretty wealthy. Most of my students are pretty wealthy, I would say. And it was predominantly white. So there's there's not much racial diversity there. Yes. And so knowing that, I guess that was kind of the um, audience and makeup and background of your particular students, how do you feel since I know you specifically um, taught history, right? Yes. So I saw that history. And then you mentioned earlier that you um, studied social studies and things like that. So I'm curious, how did that, I guess, shape what you taught to your students, how you taught it to your students um, as you were teaching history, which is like something so important and critical. And I feel like when I think about teachers, implicit bias and how that plays a role in everything. And then I think about my experience in education K-12 when um, I was the only black kid um, at a private school mm -hmm. with all of my peers being white and how my white teacher taught history to me and I never felt seen. I, I never felt um, like it was a really safe or inclusive space. Just talk to me a little bit about like from your standpoint, how that shaped and that POV kind of shaped how you um, delivered the content to your students. Well, I was always told like, oh, if you teach at these low income schools, like you'll get all this loan forgiveness and you need to go there. And I was always like, oh, okay. Like loan forgiveness sounds great. But then I had interviewed several places and I, I wanted to teach at this one. And it was predominantly white upper middle class. So I was like, okay, that's totally the opposite of what's always been pushed to me and pushed to teachers in, in hopes of forgiveness. Right. So I was like, well, I want to go here because I feel like this school probably needs to hear my approach to history and social studies and geography and society. And so I got, yes. I, I was super, super excited to provide a different perspective. Cause just like you said, you know, I had always been fed the, you know, the history from the people who won the victors, you know, and not really from the other groups that were also there. They just didn't have the power to tell their stories. So I wanted to provide new perspectives to these students who may never have um, had opportunities to hear different perspectives. And so while I was there my first year and I taught there for six years. So my first year, I remember being like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. I'm about to get in arguments with these kids. <laughs> like, oh, um, I think not. And then I, I was like, okay, no, this is the whole point of teaching is like, you can't get frustrated when people are educated because you're the one who's supposed to do the educating. So it's okay. Yes. So I had to like give myself grace and take take um, so many different approaches and this one would fail and then that one would fail. And I was like, okay, let me try another one. And so I just had to keep trying and trying. And I, I took some studies on um, discussion-based learning and I was like, okay. maybe if I do some more discussions, other people can provide perspectives to where I'm not saying um, it's not all coming from me. Cause you know, sometimes you don't right. want to believe 
someone who is maybe a female or maybe a person of color, they're less, they're going to be like, well, that's because you're a female or that's because you're a person of color. Like they don't, but yeah. if it can come from other people, then the discussions might be really helpful. Um, so we, we started to do research-based assignments with discussions and that really opened the door to a lot of things, which I thought was going smooth. And I had a lot of students who said, oh, you changed my perspective. But uh, over the course of six years, I did run into things that had like, did push me towards quitting and that would be you know certain parent phone calls when i was teaching geography geography mm. is the whole world and it's not just maps it's yeah. it's the culture and the language and the religion and the and the politics of any given area and so when i talk about specific countries i would have parents call and say hey you should not be talking about that or i don't want my son hearing that or this and that and sometimes they wouldn't call me they would just go straight to my administrator and so the mm -hmm. moment when my administrator was like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, maybe just like stick to the maps. And I, I remember being like, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to tiptoe on the maps and point out where these countries are. I'm here to tell you where the country is and about the people in, in the, who reside there. So right. those are some of the things, I, the issues I ran into teaching in, in this type of Ooh. school. But at the end of the day, yeah. I do feel like, I provided a lot of insight and new perspectives to hundreds of kids, which is all I can ask for. But right, there was pushback oftentimes, and that that sucked and was very discouraging. Yeah, and so um, being at that particular school or in that school environment, would you say that there were any other teachers on staff who did kind of see eye to eye with you and were teaching in the way that you were, or were you kind of the one kind of doing this work? I would say there, I want to start by saying there were so many wonderful coworkers I had and so many that became friends yeah. and helpful, just like useful resources. And I think that's how coworkers should be is that we help each other. But there were also coworkers who, yeah, would, I would hear stories from my students and be like, oh, they said this, or they said that. And I'd be shocked. And I'm like, that's not stuff that should be said. Um, and so I actually had a student come up to me my first year teaching, my first year, and they were talking about me. This The student was talking about me to the teacher in front of the whole class, just about my class and stuff. And the teacher then referred to me in front of all the students as little Puerto Rican girl. And I remember I had several students come to me later that day and say, hey, she called you little Puerto Rican girl. And for one, I'm not Puerto Rican, but they're lovely people, <laughs> lovely people, but I'm not Puerto Rican. And so that already was, you know, racially insensitive and disrespectful, just flat out. But also just if she were to just say little girl about a coworker is also disrespectful. So things like that would arise when I was talking about just stuff in my class. There was just an overall like thinking my class in geography is, is stupid or useless and I'm not to be taken seriously because I look so young and because I dress the way I dress and I wear the earrings I want to wear. There was just this disrespect and um, lack of just like them not taking me seriously at, like on a regular basis. And so that sucked. And now again, I had a lot of coworkers who were awesome and loved me and I'm still friends with but there were so many who just thought of me as like the little Puerto Rican girl. Um, there was another teacher, a separate one, who continuously called me the Spanish teacher for a year. 
until another student finally said like, hey, you really need to stop calling her that. And so it's, it's like I'm having students tell me these things. And there was another teacher who commented on my Google Classroom pretending to be a student in my class. She was using his, his name because she took the computer from him during class because he was doing my work in her class. And she was mad at me for that. So she left a nasty comment saying I looked like some person who I guess we do kind of look like, I don't know. I don't even know who the person was, but a person of color who has a brownish tone like me and curly hair saying, I look like this person on my Google classroom. And I remember being so confused by that. So, and then there was another teacher. These are four different teachers, another teacher over the course of my six years, another teacher who asked me how long I've been in this country. So like, these are things that came up that I didn't feel like other people were dealing with. And after the first thing with the little Puerto Rican girl comment, that was the first time it happened. And I remember I've always been a fighter. I've always been like, what, what did you say? Did you have something to say to me? And, yeah. I, and so I remember being a first year teacher being like, okay, I can't fight my way out of this. Like I, I gotta be <laughs> professional because this is my job now. So I remember I went to my administrator and I told her what happened and she looked me in my face and she said, well, what do you want me to do? And I was like, well, I want you to address it with her. And she was like, okay, well, do you want me to make her say sorry? And I was like, no, I don't ever want to talk to her ever. I just want you to address it with her so she doesn't talk about me in that way again. And then she steers clear of me. She, she doesn't come near my hallway. Because honestly, I was scared about me and what I was going to do. I'm so serious. So an hour later, this teacher shows up in my room while I have students. And it's like, I just need to say sorry. I just, ah, I can't even... And I'm, and she starts going on and on and on in front of the students. And I can't even say what I want to say because I'm not going to show out in front of the students. So I was just like, okay, just, okay, go ahead. Thank you. And I remember thinking, I can trust my administrator to do what I asked. So that was the first instance. And for the rest of these, I just never even said anything. I just talked about them with my friends. And I just felt like I, I can't even say anything because there's no black administrators here. There's no black guidance counselors here. When I first started, we had one black school resource officer and he left and then he was replaced by someone in the majority. So I was just like, there's not people who can relate to me racially. There's not people who are going to defend me if something like that is said. And that is just uncomfortable. And it's these, these daily microaggressions are facing yeah. that other people are not. And honestly, as I hear you talk about that, it literally reminds me, it reminds me of, as I was mentioning, my experience um, growing up, K through 12, private Christian school, only black girl. Mm -hmm. And I was, I have, I still hold a lot, a lot of trauma to this day. Um, you mentioned that you're almost 30. I am 30, 31 to be exact. And I still haven't gotten over stuff. I still haven't gotten over it. I'm it's just like, um, when I hear you say that, that reminds me of like 10 year reunion or whatever, whenever the 10 year reunion. Okay. So I graduated in 09. So whenever that is, or whenever that was in 2019, I was not about to step foot ever back in that environment just because of like how I felt it, it was the microaggressions exactly what you're saying was the microaggressions because I would even like share my experience my story um with other people and they'd be like you need to go back into that school I remember um at one point 
I held for my church here, I led a group and it, the group was on racial reconciliation from like a biblical perspective. And I remember like, cause I've always been big on like championing equity, social justice, DEI. So I was like, merge that with my faith. That's me. Like I always talk about MLK and like, I love MLK. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I'm like, that's my little version of trying to carry on the vision. So any who are the dream. So I remember this one person told me like, you need to go back to that school. You need to work there and you need to um, be able to show them how to be better and, and share with them your story and the impact that that had on you. And I'm like, I will never. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not my ministry to carry yeah. out. I'm not going to do that because I could not ever in my life fathom putting myself back in that situation and feeling all of the things that you're describing, like kind of feeling all of that again. Like I have had this like barrier and this shield to like always protect myself from like that any experience similar to that, like ever, like once I graduated high school, I ran to college in Atlanta, Georgia. Why? Because that was the blackest place that I could find so that I could finally be somewhere where I had folks who look like me, folks who were doing well, folks who were, you know, successful, but looked like me for once. I did not have that. People talk a lot about like making sure that our students, they have mirrors and they have windows. And, you know, I have been able to be a mirror for a lot of my students. And, and I love that because I didn't have that. I didn't have black teachers. And like, it's not saying that, oh, my teachers that I had growing up, they weren't good because they weren't black. It's like some of them were great. I remember them to this day. And if I was to see them, it would be all good and gravy, but some of them I have literally seen since I graduated and the like sickness <laughs> that I feel in my soul, in my spirit, I just like can't. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out like, how did you endure that experience? Because like you said, if I, if it was going to be handled the way that you might have wanted to handle it, you, you kind of <laughs> couldn't couldn't do that, couldn't address it that way because it's oh you got to be professional and this and that and the third. So like what allowed you to like stay in the work knowing that you were dealing with all that because that's very heavy and taxing on somebody. It was taxing. Um, I will say when I was in elementary and middle school, my schools were predominantly white. I I did not know who my father was. I know who he is now, um, but he was the black one and my mom was the white one. My mom's also half Venezuelan. So I was the only person of color most of the time in elementary and middle school. And then also when I would go home, I was the only person of color there too because my older sister has a white dad and my brothers have white dads and I was the one in the family who didn't. So I kind of already had always grew up feeling this like diff discrepancy of like, okay, I look different than my siblings. People are always asking, is she adopted? Or like, why is she, you know, why does she look different than the other kids? Um, people people right. said uh, nasty things about my mother because of my skin tone. And so I had built up this armor of, okay, I already yeah. we're going to say something. And so that's right. why in elementary and middle school, I started fighting people because I was like, oh, you're going to say something? I'm ready. Like, I'm going to. Um, 
if you're going to have a stereotype, okay, then I'm going to meet it. Like, <laughs> you want to play that? Like, I got very defensive. Every little thing, yeah. which, you know, turned itself into, like, anger, getting myself in trouble. And then in high school, my family actually moved. And I went to a high school, and I was like, there are so many Black people here. I was like, what? Yeah. I was shocked. And and then, of course, mm-hmm. even though I had went to a high school that was pretty much um, diverse in every aspect, I would say every group there and there was a a, a, almost an equal percentage of every group I'd say in my high school um I still gravitated Mm -hmm. towards white groups because that's what I had always had and so then I found myself having opportunity to have my first like real friends of color and I still found myself in um predominantly a white group but there was a couple of my friends uh, my, my best friend to this day is Panamanian. So she was the one friend I kept from that group, which kind of speaks volumes. But I remember going into college, trying to maintain friendships with this group. And one of the, the girls in the group who I thought was like one of my best friends posted like this racist comment on tick on not TikTok, Twitter. And I remember being like, and she, her, her comment was about dating black guys. And like, oh, like she was like insulting someone for dating a black person. And I remember thinking like, I thought I was in your friend group. I'm one of your best friends. I'm, I'm mixed. So if you're talking about right. them, you're talking about me. And so when I went to college, I was like, you know what? I, I feel like I can't trust, I can't trust anyone. I got to People have to prove themselves to me. So again, back yeah. to this like wall up and. Yeah. And unfortunately, judging people, like judging a book by its cover, and I, I geared towards making friends with people who showed me that they weren't going to be racist. So when college started, I kept my my best friend and I made new friends and I started taking all these classes where I learned about, like I started taking African-American studies. I started taking these classes where I could learn about me because I didn't have anything yes. to teach me about me and about the culture and about, about me. So it's my anger and my like self-loathing and this lack of feeling like I belonged turned into a drive to learn more. And so then when I had already wanted to become a teacher, I then wanted to become a teacher where I could teach about a, a culture that I felt like I was deprived from. So yes. um, like you said earlier, I felt like a mirror for this, the few students of color in my class. And that really mattered to me. I mean, at lunch, I would have several people stay and have lunch with me. And they were like, eh, I don't really have anyone to sit with in there. So, and they would sit with me and they'd, they'd tell me about the racist stuff they're experiencing and I'd, I'd be there for them. That yeah. was really important. That was one of the hardest things that I had to leave behind was being one of the very few teachers of color at my school, which there are some, but few. Ooh, man. Okay. So you experienced all of that. But I'm curious on with in the midst of all that and the four different teachers <laughs> that were very much problematic, um, where was the point in your journey where you had the initial thought like, hmm, I'm thinking I maybe will transition elsewhere. I'm thinking I want to leave the classroom. I can't continue teaching or I don't want to. Like, when did that first thought come to mind for you? I would say that came into mind, like, I had always kind of thought like, ooh, I don't know, there's a lot of like these little comments that are bothering me. But if I just if I just keep getting involved in things, I'm gonna win these coworkers over, and I'm gonna win these students over and everyone's gonna love me and I'm gonna be teacher of the year. So I've always, if I just work harder, it will. Yeah. 
And so Mm -hmm. I was totally on that. And then I got pregnant. My husband and I got pregnant on our honeymoon and (laughs) during COVID. And so I had to do all that online stuff that March while I was like unknowingly pregnant and I was sick and I was like, oh, this sucks. And then the summer happened. Of course, I found out I was pregnant. And when August rolled around, we started school again and we had some students online. We had some students in in, um, in the classroom. So it was kind of double method which was very difficult yes so that was really frustrating me but I still wasn't quite at my quit I was just like uh this bothers me this bothers me this bothers me but I wasn't like quit yet um but when I had my son in December his birthday's tomorrow so he'll be two tomorrow oh wow so two years ago when I had my son I remember I was I had to get all the lesson plans together and I was like why am I doing triple the work to prepare for my absence what like why is no one else doing this like i'm i'm, I'm pregnant like i'm huge yeah. and i'm tired and i'm teaching right now and now i have to make these lesson plans so that was already a difficult thing and i was already getting frustrated then when i had my son they made me use all of my sick days first so that i could then take my maternity it wasn't really maternity it was short term disability so something i'm paying for with my benefits Okay. Yes. So when I had my son, I had to use all of my sick days first, and then I got to use my short-term disability, aka my maternity. And so during my maternity, I got the equivalent of one paycheck for short-term disability, and I had to make that last three months. So if I was a single parent, there's no absolute way that that would work. Um, but luckily, you know, we are a two, we were a two-income home, um, so I could make it work. But that was really frustrating. And then on top of that, when I came back to work, I didn't have sick days, so I couldn't be sick. I couldn't take a mental health day if I needed to, because I had to use them all up to use my maternity. Um, So that was exhausting that I couldn't just take a day off if I needed to. And then when I got back, all my attendance stuff was done wrong. All my grades, the percentages were entered in wrong. So I had to do 30 grade change forms to fix the grades that were messed up due to my sub. And it's not her fault that no one helped her. I did explain it in the sub plans, but she probably just didn't understand. But like, where was everybody hold her accountable and make sure that she was doing things in the correct way. And so when I came back, I was, I had a bunch of work and it was just horrible. I had to go, I had to breastfeed. I had to pump. I didn't really know where to go or how to do that. And I had to like, make a deal with my one of my administrators to find the time to breastfeed. I was like, I can't do lunch duty this day because I have to pump at this time. And he was like, okay, well then let's do afternoon duty at this time, but you'll have to do it every day because it's shorter than lunch duty. And I'm like, what? Like, And he's like, well, if you want, you can ask other teachers to help cover your class or to help with your duty. And then, you, then you'll be good. And I'm like, I don't want to go bother other teachers with this. And it's kind of like a personal thing. I don't want to like talk about this. Like, hey, can, can you watch my class while I go pump? And then I pour my milk. It's just like, so it's like a weird thing. And so that was awful trying to maintain, well, I want to do this because it's healthy for my baby, but I don't think I can do it here at work. And that was devastating. And, but I, I did figure out it out for several months I did. And then eventually I stopped due to it being so difficult. And so just coming back from maternity thinking, this is awful. I am paying now, I get paid on the 15th and the 30th, but the entire paycheck from the 15th goes to daycare now. So 
at that point I had to ask myself, do I want to have more kids in the future or do I want to teach? Because if I were to have more kids, I'd be then paying to teach because daycare costs more than my income. <laughs> so you were at a point pretty much where you were like, you get paid on the 15th and the 30th and the whole paycheck for the 15th is going to daycare. So you can pick up from there. So, so if I'm, if one of my paychecks is daycare for my son, then I had to ask myself, do I want to teach or do I want to have more kids? And I can't right. do both. I can't have more kids because then I can't afford childcare for those kids on teacher income. And again, yeah. I am married and I do have my husband's income to help as well. But if I wasn't, that is a horrible, horrible system. Um, and it's pushing young teachers out the door because we do want to have families, but we can't if we're if we're teachers. We can't pay for child care while we take care of other people's children. It just doesn't it yeah. didn't make sense. So that's that's the last thing that kind of pushed me out the door. OK, wow. All right. So you decided, hey, I'm going to go ahead and resign. And um, so you resigned at the end of this past school year and kind of just told them you won't be returning? Yes, I told them in, in March I was considering leaving. And, okay, okay, well, let us know, you know, what we can do. Um, we hope you don't leave, you know. But, like, at that point, I'm disassociating. Like, I feel burnt out. I feel like, yeah. where were you this past year when I was struggling? And even though as right. a new mother, I still added on student council to my plate. Like, I was so excited to do things that are fun for the kids. And I would send emails out about student council. And, like, some of the faculty and staff would just ignore my emails. Some of them would come up to me and say, you send too many emails. Like, it was just like... Uh, why are you letting kids get out of class to go to a pep rally? Like they're getting mad that I'm trying to do fun stuff for the kids. And so I was like, I'm putting so much effort into this. I, my class is fun. My kids are learning. I go home and I have nothing left for my husband and my son. I have yeah. poured out my cup. I'm completely empty now. And then I'm supposed to go back and do it all over tomorrow. I was like, I can't. Right. Okay. So let's talk about where in this journey um, did you start to post on TikTok? So I had, before I decided to quit, I would record little clips for my class and post it. Um, I have this friend from high school who she was posting clips from her class and I thought it was so cool. And, and I, when I clicked on her TikTok, it was like just sharing the love in my classroom. And so I thought that was really cool. So I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to steal her idea. And so. <laughs> share the love so I recorded some stuff and I shared it and most of it was positive like oh I love this class I'd love to have this teacher and I that it really encouraged me but then when I started posting more about discussions we would have in geography or I also taught sociology and we had a assignments that were controversial because sociology is the study of society so we talked about societal issues when I started posting that stuff I'd get a lot of positive feedback on TikTok with some people and yeah. say how dare you you're indoctrinating our kids and I'm just like mm -hmm. I was like what are you talking about indoctrinate <laughs> your kids do you really think that this is how I would do it so you know all the stuff luckily that I was teaching in sociology was in the textbook that I was given so luckily like I could you know cover myself with that even though I wasn't didn't have anything to really cover um 
So right. that, although I had some negative comments there, I still liked posting because most of them were still positive. Um, but the advocacy stuff that I started posting was a little bit later. It was, a, it was about a month or two later because I had been emailing a teacher about a specific student. This was not at my school. Um, and then she was just ignoring me and the student was contacting me. It was actually a friend's little brother. And he was contacting me, contacting me, like, help me. I know you're a teacher. And his mom didn't speak English. So he was like, we, she wants your help. He was translating for her. Like, what can we do? Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, what you're telling me isn't really right. I've been a teacher for a long time. Like, let me reach out to this teacher and see. And like I said, she had been ignoring my email. So I finally called her. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to record this and see what happens. But I didn't want to record her voice because I didn't want to publicly right. shame someone because I don't think publicly like yeah. is good. So I was like, record <laughs> me talking to this person and that can bring awareness to the issue and that, yeah. oh, you know, help the student maybe, whatever. And so I recorded it. I posted it. It blew up. People were yes. talking in the comments like, oh, my teacher did this. My teacher did that. Horrible things. And I was like, oh, my God, awful. Mm -hmm. There's a real need for this, for me to make these calls. So I was like, let me make a website real quick. Let me make a business real quick and see what happens. And all uh, okay. hundreds of consultations I had to put on there. There's a waiting list because I can't possibly go through all this. And I started to see this most sad things, like just things like my teacher won't even call me by the right name. Like what? Such small things that really, if I just call and say like, hey, you need to call the student by the right name, usually it gets fixed. And so I, I felt like I could really do this. And I was like, yeah. now I'm kind of talking to teachers that are so neglectful. <laughs> and so I really put it into perspective that I love teaching. I'm putting in 100% and I'm burning out. I feel unsupported. My cup is empty. Now I'm becoming a negative teacher. And that negativity is going to rub off on my students to where I become one of those apathetic teachers that doesn't care. And so now yeah. instead I left and I'm calling those apathetic teachers that don't care. And a lot of teachers have left negative comments like, how dare you? Like we, we work so hard. I know you guys do. I'm not here to shame teachers. I'm here to give the bad ones an opportunity to correct their mistakes before it yeah. And so that is what really blew up on TikTok. And it's more so about awareness. It's more so to bridge the gap between parents, students, and teachers and how we've all been pitted against each other by like the district and admin. And so really yeah. it's about awareness. And there has been a lot of positives about it too. Yes. No. Oh my gosh. I'm honestly, I'm like, I don't think I saw any of the no, I did see a few of the videos about you um, teaching and stuff. That was after the fact. But the video that I saw was the one of you making a call. And I know you have several videos like that. But I was just like, this is literally amazing. Like, first of all, people would get on my nerves in the comments when sometimes they would talk about like, oh, it's the tone. It's the tone. I'm like. Please don't tone police anybody ever in your life because I will come for you on but that. But they didn't like, back they, they don't know how hard I've worked for this tone. They're lucky because it used to be worse. So I'm proud. <laughs> I'm very proud of me and my tone. Yes. But like literally there was no problem with the tone. And I think that like probably irritated me the most just because I, I've gotten the same thing before. So I'm just like, please go somewhere. But anyways... I just love that because 
like what your business is all about, you are an advocate. And like, I remember that's what um, my very first year as a teacher, I had a little mantra that I would have all my students say, we'd say it together at the beginning of class. Mind you, at that time, entering into education, I was teaching upper elementary. Um, So um, one of the little parts in it was like, I'm an advocate for myself and for others. And I would have my students say that. Because that's always how I, I viewed myself too. Like I had no plans to go into education because my, my my major was economics. I minored in education, and then I ended up getting an internship that I didn't like, and that pivoted me to say, go back to education and think about doing that. And so that's kind of what brought me into the field, and I I was really also irritated with how the public school system is set up as far as like funding and I've always only served in title one schools because a lot of that too came from my experience like I was saying at that k-12 private school and me being like it's not fair that these are the only students getting a quality education I'm not here for it like every student deserves that and I'm gonna go teach in the schools where that's not happening and so that's kind of what drove me there and I saw myself as being an advocate for my students so that they could receive that education that they truly deserve because their zip code should never stop them from receiving that. Yeah. And so me having this lens of like coming to advocate and fight for what was right for my students um, and then having them say that every single day. And then when I see the work that you're doing, I'm like, I just had that instant like connection, like, what she's doing good. I saw one video, click follow, it was over with. Like, I was just like, oh my gosh, I love what she's doing. I was like, I wish I had some teachers like this at my school. But again, like, it's just like the bold authority that you show up with in your videos is what I have always loved about your content. I don't think there's a video that you've ever posted that I'm like, no, I don't like. I'm like, I love those videos. And also, let me tell you this. So last year, Um, I made a transition from becoming a dean to becoming an assistant principal. So I'm at this school serving as an AP. I'm doing a walkthrough. Okay, hold on to me. This story has something to do with you. So I'm doing a walkthrough. I'm talking with I was just having a casual conversation with my teachers at that time. I remember it was like early in the morning. So I'm doing a walkthrough and I go to this teacher's classroom. And um, at that time, too, her partner teacher was also in the class. So it was one teacher. She was the ELA teacher. The other teacher was the math teacher. And we're just chit-chatting, talking, whatever. Um, I don't know how this came about. But anyways, the ELA teacher was like, have you seen these videos of this teacher who, like, calls up other um, teachers and, like, advocates on behalf of like students and like families and different things like that and I'm like yeah I know exactly who you're talking about now I have not told any of my staff about me having a TikTok or anything like that if I come across their FYP I come across their FYP but I'm not like hey follow me on TikTok. right like I like to kind of like separate that part of my life but anyways I'm like yeah um like I follow her like I know exactly who you're talking about but I didn't like say all that but I was just like, yes, I love those videos. And she was like, me too. So you literally like came up in this conversation that I had uh, with one of my teachers, which I just thought was literally hilarious. But literally, I just like love the work that you do. And so with that, um, 
I really want to know more about what you are doing now with it, because it's like you said, hey, you were calling folks and you were seeing a lot of people had this need. And then you said you just put up the website and then you started getting all these consultations. You had a whole wait list like that is the dream for a business owner. So I really want to know more about like how you have transformed your business a little bit from um what it started out initially to like kind of how is it structured now what all are you doing with the business now um and yeah just a little bit more about the heartbeat of the business as well would love for you to share so with the business i've been trying to just go through the wait list and so with some some are quick easy i talk to them for a minute they ask a couple questions and they honestly don't even need any services they're like i just needed an answer to that like a lot of them are just asking questions about is it okay that the school's doing this and if i say no they're like, okay, I got this. And they, they hang up or, or if I say no, sometimes they're like, okay, well, can you help me? Like, how do I explain? And that's kind of what the consultation is. I'm like, yes, I can help you. I'll give you this information. But like, if, if you want me to go forward with that, then I'm going to need you to sign off. And so create. Yeah. So after I talk to them, I hear, you know, is there a need for advocacy from me? Or is this something where I can just coach you on how to advocate for yourself? And so then yeah. together, um, after our consultation, not together, sorry, after our consultation, I will make a advocacy plan of action where it has, you know, their name, the day at school, the school board, the school district, I'll get all this information that I need. Sometimes I even like on one of the cases, I was like, here's the local news stations in case you need to contact them. <laughs> I have what they've yes. told me in the consultation. Um, I have legislation that can support their need for ad advocacy, whether it's state or federal legislation. And then I have research that's peer reviewed to back them up. So if, if, if there's a need for advocacy, I make sure that they can advocate. They're not like, well, because I said so. It's like, well, no, this legislation says so. And this research also right. says so. Um, so just oftentimes, like if they just want that plan of action, I'll give it to them and that will be completely free. It'll, I'll, it'll take some time for me. It will. And I will tell them that, you know, if you want me to advocate for you, I'm going to need you to pay. But if you want to take this plan of action and use all this information I got for you, go ahead and advocate for yourself. And I give that to them. And sometimes they'll donate, which is awesome. And sometimes they'll leave a review. Which, and then sometimes they'll want me to do it. And so some of them I can move through very quickly because, like I said, it can just be a phone call. Some of them are a lot bigger and it'll take me like a day to sit down and get all the information together and give them that plan of action. And then it can even go further where I'm I'm calling on their behalf once a week, all semester. And so that can go some of those I've had since March that I haven't been I haven't really gotten to move down the waiting list for some because I have two that wow. I have continued to call for that need repeated phone calls. And yeah, and there's some school schools that are helpful. And like, for example, yesterday I went to a school in person um, to meet with a teacher about the student had felt like he was being bullied by the in the okay. class by peers, but also by the teacher and being humiliated. We sat yeah. down, we talked. I coached him on advocacy beforehand. He said everything he needed to say, very professional, very respectful. And this kid's 12. And the responded yes. and she was like I didn't know that we had a misunderstanding he it seemed like he was like yes and I was disrespectful in this way and they've literally had a wonderful conversation I just sat there um, and I said a couple things here and there and then they had a better understanding of each other they said they both felt like going forward it's going to be a piece of cake now that they understand each other better 
and boom, that one was done. And now I'm on to the next one. So some of them are short, sweet, to the point, or even just a phone call. And some of them you got to call every week. So yeah. my way is so, stagnant right now. Oh, wow. So it's just you um, doing it or do you have a team with you? It's just me, but I have a young lady who is starting an internship with me on January 4th, maybe some at some point in the first week of January. So I'm really excited for that. And she's just going to help me add more legislation because I have like all these saved documents of legislation. But, you know, that's always changing. I have you yeah. know, some states I'm not as familiar with. I have the federal legislation. Right. I have some states. So she's going to help me fill in my holes. I mean, she's also going to help me add more to my research collection. So she's not going to be making phone calls or dealing with sensitive information or confidential information. She is going to help me to make my job easier so that I can get through more faster. Yeah, that's awesome. And so um, this has become like a full blown business for you. So I'm curious, like, um, have you always kind of had that inkling to be an entrepreneur or it's just like the opportunity just presented itself and you ran with it or what's your journey there? The opportunity presented itself and I ran with it. I, I've always been like a leader. Like I've always not been afraid to speak my mind and I've always liked talking in front of people. I've never really been nervous by that. So I felt like when the opportunity presented itself that that would be awesome and I could bring awareness, but I never wanted to run my own business. Like (laughs) what in the world is going on? And so this to me is more about a, a passion like teaching initially was, um, than it is about making the money because I've yeah. only really gotten donations and a lot of the families I've worked with are are struggling financially. And so I'm mm-hmm. just trying to help them. I, I want to keep my identity, which a lot of women lose their identity in motherhood, especially quitting my job. Yeah. So really yeah. to me is about bringing awareness to educational issues. I, I get some donations, which is awesome, but I'm a stay at home mom. So this is all I can donate to this is part time because I'm raising my son which is really was the goal with leaving teaching was I want to spend more time with my son but I want to still be in education and I want to be doing something that matters yeah and so um when I think about the work that you're doing do you typically have these students reaching out to you themselves or um is it their families reaching out so initially when I first when it first blew up a lot of it was parents but there was like maybe, maybe 5% were, were students. And so I have an additional link on there that says, if you're under the age of 18, you need to sign this and your parents need to sign that. And like, and so that was very difficult because when I would send that to the students, then they would never respond again. No, I'm not, yeah. I'm not asking my parents anything, you know? So I, I kind of have shifted gears a little bit to really dealing with parents and there's been probably another 5% have been teachers who were just like asking questions. So, it's okay. it's I would say 90% of it is parents. Now with your videos blowing up and you doing this great work, did any of your coworkers at school see your content? Yeah. How did that go over? Yes, yeah, so this was in March, maybe February, March, April was when those videos all were really blowing up. I think yes. the last big one while I was still there was in May. So I think there were several videos that blew up. Um and one coworker was like, you're not supposed to be using school phones to do this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, but 
Right. right. <laughs> but I am doing it. I'm not doing anything that's bad. I'm trying to help. So there was something about using school resources, but I continued to do what I wanted to do until and a boss would tell me I can't, not a coworker. I was right. like, man, I right. equal, so you're not going to tell me what to do. Um, and then a couple other teachers were just confused because they were like, are you talking to one of our coworkers like that? And I'm like, no, I would never, you know, do advocacy in this school because I am here. So that just wouldn't be a good thing. Um, so a lot of them were just asking about it and they were just confused. And they were like, that's some of them were complimenting it saying that's cool. Um, but it, no, no admin really said anything until the very end of the year before I had said I was quitting. My principal did ask me, Hey, make sure you're not posting any students on that TikTok." And I was like, well, per my syllabus, I wrote, I wrote in my syllabus, I will record at my will when I want to, and I will post when I want to. And so that was in my syllabus amongst a bunch of other things. And I always have parents sign the syllabus and I have students sign the syllabus saying you read and you agree. You signed it. So I told him that I said I, in my syllabus, I said I would record if I wanted to and that I would post if I wanted to and parents signed it. And I don't post anything with, with st the few students whose parents didn't sign it. So what do you want me to do? <laughs> so I, wow. I did delete some that had students in it just because I didn't want to get in trouble. I hadn't decided I was quitting yet. But then when I decided and yeah. I went ahead and started posting what I wanted to post again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord, those co-workers. God bless you with those <laughs> sweet souls. I think, I think that <laughs> some of them did tell on me and that's why he initially or that's why he eventually um, said what he said. But yeah, they didn't say it to me. They so. Yeah, I see one too many um, teachers online um, being saying nowadays so frequently about their administration or school districts that they can't post this and that and i'm just like leave folks alone why are you even in their business to begin with oh. like you could have scrolled on but you're so nosy but anyway. i know uh, yeah and i <laughs> i do think there were a couple of teachers who didn't like what i was doing i think more so like the older age or the veteran teachers some would say um because i did feel like people who used to smile at me in the hallway didn't smile at me anymore. And I was like, oh, and yeah. so I did notice that. And then I actually, this past year was up for teacher of the year at my high school. And so amongst all yeah. of this, I still was nominated by my coworkers to be in the top three finalists for teacher of the year. Um, and then when that happened, um, there was a voting done. We had to type up our statements and I talked about how I started the business and I talked about how I was involved in student council and cross country and track and all these things. Um, and so then roll around to voting day, I had a, a specific teacher tell her whole class, oh, I'm not voting for her. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to vote for me, but you also don't need to tell the class that with that attitude. And so that right. also influenced me to leave is because I'm like, if you have a problem, let's talk about it and we can work through it and we can better understand each other, but don't talk bad about me to the students that we share. And so exactly. that really was upsetting. I don't know if she was mad about the business or the TikToks or the post or just my personality. <laughs> she was mad about something and she told us. Wow. Yeah. Coworkers, they can be um, great and then also not so great um, for sure. 
But anywho, you know what? Like your business, this is what I thought of. Well, no, I'm going to ask you this question first. Have you ever been a part of the teachers union? Uh, no, I, I've seen all this stuff and I look at it and I just, I just don't. Okay. I did. I had a, we had a teacher at our school was like a teacher rep and she, she would give us all this information, but I remember other teachers would be like, don't do that stuff. It was so hard to really understand what the right thing to do was because there'd be some teachers saying, yes, do it. We need this. And then others being like, no, you'll get blackballed if you do this and this and that. So I never really did the right thing to do, but I did. We're yeah. red for Ed on Wednesday. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. I didn't know that was like a common thing. I thought that was just something we did here in Texas, but I guess wear red for Ed is everywhere. Um, so I asked that because I just am like the loudest person about joining a teacher's union just because I've seen some very trifling things done to teachers. Um, being kind of like on the outside looking in, I remember just like as a teacher myself seeing like some of my coworkers done so horribly by um administration or done really horribly by student lied on them and, and like literally it was it was not true and, and then their job and all of this and they had to go through this and that and it's just like if you had a union advocating on your behalf and not all unions are good i know that 100 i mean i always tell people like to do their research but if they're not knowledgeable of like all the legal things themselves and stuff like that i highly always recommend like whenever i talk to a new teacher i'm like listen join this teacher's union, especially here, like in my area, please join that teacher's union. But I know not all schools have it, not all states as, as well. But anyway, yeah. I just say that because uh, um, like the work that you do reminds me of like good unions, how they would actually go to bat for teachers. Like when there was something or like a bad administrator saying do X, Y, and Z, and they would take that to their union and their union rep would advocate on their behalf. And then that would magically like go away and disappear because the admin was called out on it. Um, it just reminds me of like the work that you do as far as like, of course, advocating on behalf. Okay, Izzy, you have shared a lot of great things today. I loved hearing about your story and also your business. However, my final question for you was if there is a former teacher listening to this right now or a teacher who is considering um, making this maybe even their last year as an educator and they're really loving what you're sharing as far as being able to advocate for the needs of um, those who need it and bridge that gap between, as you mentioned earlier, teachers, students, and then also their families and parents. What can somebody do to go along this pathway and pursue a similar um, journey as you? Advice to someone who's considering quitting is to is to really make a pros and cons list, and then to think about whether or not you have a plan B. Obviously, you know we don't want to just quit and not have an income. Um, so to consider what your plan B is. Um, I like I had told you earlier. I had been thinking about. Uh, I don't know if I can do this forever. I wasn't set on quitting. But when I made the business, I was in that rut where I was kind of thinking, I don't know if I can do this forever. So I made the business 
as a plan B. And then when it started to blow up, it really gave me the confidence to leave teaching. Um, so that kind of helped. Um, although I do think if I, when I was ready to leave teaching, I would have left and became a waitress. I think I would have left and, and worked at a retail store. Like uh, when I decided I was quitting, I was quitting. Um, so I think it, at this quote I've heard so often, it's like, oh, when there's not room for us at the table, we, we don't need to try and squeeze in. We need to build a new table. Yeah. And so I do feel like advocacy and just like bringing awareness to issues in education, there is a need for that. So I do think people could create um, outlets for students. Like what I have done is to try and bring awareness. And I it simply made a social media presence and then made a website. And that, that really wasn't that difficult for me to do. So I do think... If you have the time to dedicate to sitting down and trying to slowly build up a business while you're teaching, I think you should do that. Um, and then you'll have something to fall onto when you do quit. Um, also, though, some years are better than others. I don't suggest like staying in something that's really bad for your mental health. But it might just be a tough group of kids or it might be a tough group of parents or it might mm-hmm. be a tough administrator that's leaving. So some, sometimes staying ends up being a positive blessing as well. So make sure it's 100% what you want to do and that you have a plan going forward. I love that. I would definitely agree um, about building your own table. Um, I think I mentioned that earlier in the conversation. I'm just very passionate about healthy school cultures because I've worked in so many school cultures that were extremely toxic and that was due to the poor leadership so I knew that either I'm going to find a job that allows me to shape culture of schools or I'm going to create my own so that's really what encouraged me to start my own business and yeah I talk a lot about classroom management and culture for um, teachers in their first five years But really, my bigger vision is all centered around school culture. And so that's just one element. But I do agree about if you can't find somewhere to sit at the table, go and build your own. That's okay. Feel encouraged to do so. And like she said, too, um, sometimes it is just that school. It is just that school. Um, Now, I remember as a teacher, I went to a couple different schools and I kept seeing the same pattern and problem. So that's how I knew, okay, this is a systemic issue and I'm going to just have to go on and dip out the classroom. Yeah, it's very systemic. (laughs) And that's why I'm hoping, like, of course, I love doing my business, but it is part time. And so I'm making, you know, part time money. And so I'm hoping one day I can try and keep bringing awareness and expand this into a small school. Like, I'd like to find teachers like you and like other TikTok teachers I follow um, to make like a small school, a positive school where the culture is there and everything is just student centered and also giving teachers the autonomy that they need. Yeah. So that's the long term goal. Um, is to do something like that. Love that. That is so cool. Well, thank you so much, Izzy, for being on the Teachers Who Quit podcast. All of your information is going to be linked in the show notes below. So everyone who's listening, if you're not already ready following Izzy, make sure that you do follow her. Um, check out her business website as well and pass that along to anyone you know who might be in need. Thanks so much, Izzy, for being on the show. Thank you. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to the Teachers Who Quit podcast. Keep listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe and leave us a review to get a shout out on our socials. And remember to shamelessly choose you.